Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Kind of like flexing the prayer muscle. I'm feeling you too, Chris. The sore muscles from things I just haven't used all quarantine. Uh, they're engaged, they're ready to go, and I am excited to be here. If I haven't met you already, my name is Tyler, uh, and it is so good to see you. And this morning, I want to begin our time together in this moment with a bit of a history lesson, if you'll indulge me. Just a quick history lesson. Did you know that in 1942, is the U.S. mobilized for a world war against two enemies on two fronts? Americans at home were asked by their government to do without most of the luxuries and many of the necessities that we'd come to take for granted, right? So I'm talking about gasoline, rubber, uh, tinfoil, whiskey, chewing gum, I mean, all these kind of items. They were asked uh, to do, do without them. Many of these items were rationed or they were redirected towards those fighting overseas. So across the country, people worked to limit their waste and to contribute needed raw materials to a nationwide mobilization effort. Like old iron beds that people had in their garage were pulled out and donated and melted down to get some like new iron to use for new purposes. And cities tore up streetcar lines that were in the streets and used that metal for airplanes. People in small towns or big cities, they all felt like connected in a very real sense to this massive worldwide effort to defeat the enemy. Uh, There was a strong sense that together victory could be accomplished. There was this sweet like spirit of cooperation. There was, I don't know, maybe something in the air, something in the water that prompted people to sacrifice readily, to reorient their lives, their work and their play so that they might contribute to this national effort. There was a defining spirit, a mood, right? As the kids might say, uh, that swept the nation and encouraged people to do what they could to help. Now, the German philosophers, they have a word for this kind of thing. When like one of these moods rhymes up or there's like a big spirit that's sweeping the nation, they call it zeitgeist, right? It literally means the spirit of the time. And if the zeitgeist of 1942 was at least in some sense a spirit of cooperation, I wonder as we begin our journey this morning, how would you describe the zeitgeist today? Or to put it another way, how would you describe the spirit of our time? What is the spirit of our time? What do you think? Is it a spirit of worry, a spirit of suspicion, a spirit of fear? I mean, what is the spirit of our time? Because I'd contend that there is usually a a broad mood, a general feeling, a cultural force that's always at work that's shaping how we think, how we behave, who we're becoming, and that mood, that spirit, it, it always produces observable outcomes. There's stuff that comes from it. I mean, just like in 1942, the spirit of the time prompted elementary students to collect tin and prompted families to save their resources and you know, contribute them to the mobilization effort, uh, there are observable outcomes that come from invisible spirits. In fact, one might go so far to say that spirits produce fruit. 
All right, so see this morning, Kelly, you know where I'm going. This morning as we're wrapping up our series on the Holy Spirit. We've had this wonderful month-long journey talking about this oftentimes forgotten third person of the Trinity who still matters, God's Holy Spirit, this invisible energy, this invisible person who makes God's like real goals and desires happen as the world. As we wrap up that message series, I think we're going to see that the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Because spirits do produce fruit. If you're a note taker, in fact, that's the first two blanks on today's notes. Spirit produce fruit. They have observable outcomes. They might be invisible in and of themselves. You know, you don't see the Holy Spirit. You don't see a spirit of cooperation. You don't see a mood in a room, right? But, but there are observable outcomes that come from invisible spirits. And as we dive into scripture together today, as we consider the kind of fruit that comes from walking in step with the spirit, the kind of fruit that grows on the branches of our lives as we listen to the spirit's voice and follow the spirit's lead, uh, my goal is to convince you that the spirit or that the fruit produced by the spirit is better than the fruit of any other spirit. Right? So the fruit produced by God's Holy Spirit is better than the fruit of any other spirit. The fruit that's produced as we walk in step with the spirit is fruit that we're never going to regret. We're never going to be sad that that fruit was grown in our lives, but instead we're going to be so, so glad that we followed the Spirit's voice and listened to the Spirit's voice because the spirits that come to hold sway in any particular time, you know, they can lead us astray. Sure, some spirits of the time, some zeitgeist might be more positive than others, but sometimes they can lead us to outcomes we regret. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are attitudes, these are postures, these are ways of being that you will never regret having grown within you. I mean, simply put, when all is said and done, you will not regret having invited the Holy Spirit to lead you and to produce his fruit in your life. Yes. But I don't just want you to take my word for it. I want to make the case for you by examining some scripture. So we're going to look at a first century letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians gathered in a region called Galatia. So if you have a Bible with you, will you join me in Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 16. Uh, that's where we'll be turning our attention this morning, Galatians 5, 16. And there Paul says, in Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, But I say, so I, Paul, say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. So Paul tells these first century Jesus followers in Galatia essentially that there are like two ways of living. And he titles these ways of living uh, life by the spirit and life by the flesh. So Paul says there's two ways of living and they're total opposites. Like they do not go together. You know, it'd be like water and oil or orange juice and toothpaste, if you've ever been there, right? Or, or Microsoft and Apple or like tears after you've got some new mascara. You know, they don't go together. They don't mix. Paul says there are two ways of living. One comes from walking with the spirit. The other comes from listening to our own selfish desires, right? Following the whims that come from like these selfish parts within us. And they're then usually stoked by whatever like the cultural spirit is, whatever that cultural spirit says, hey, this is acceptable, this is okay. You know, my selfish desire produces something. The spirit of the time says it's all right. Paul says there's two ways of living. You can walk by the spirit or you can follow these desires that come up within you that then somehow become acceptable within the world. Two ways of living, Paul says, and then he describes them. 
And he writes in verse 19, now the works of the flesh or life by the flesh, hey, it's evident. The outcomes that result from following that, that spirit, right, following those selfish desires, he says they're obvious. It's sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, so heaven and enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of ring, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, hey, life that's not following the Spirit's lead, it has observable outcomes, and you know it when you see it. I mean, it, it is ultimately characterized by self-indulgence, self-importance, self-assertion. Uh, over time, it leads people to objectify others, to fight with others, to talk about others, to demean others, to live really recklessly and irresponsibly. It's, it's all about me and never about you, right? It's all about now and never about later. It might seem harmless at first, Paul says. Uh, it might not look like it's gonna lead to a big regret, but it will. Uh, but when all is said and done, if you follow this way of life, Paul says, uh, you're, you're gonna be headed down this narrowly focused, selfish, inward path. You will wind up minimizing and marginalizing others. Uh, you won't make the impact you want to make. You won't treat other people how you wish that you would. But, Paul says, there is another way of living. It's life by the Spirit. And life following the Spirit, it produces different outcomes. It leads to noticeably different behaviors and attitudes. So he continues in verse 22 saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, Paul notes, there is no law. Paul says there's, there's another way of living. It's life by the Spirit, and it has its own observable outcomes. I mean, it's characterized by self-sacrifice and self-surrender and self-control. It's like a we before me. It's your good above my gain. Paul says there's two ways of living, you know, life by the flesh and life by the Spirit. And those who follow Jesus, those who say, I want to like think and live in love like him, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus and then have been given by God this Holy Spirit to live within them. And so they're, in, they're now, Paul says, enabled and empowered to follow the Spirit's leading. They can, they can live full lives characterized by these attributes, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can live by these attributes, Paul says, when you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've been given the Holy Spirit, you can live in this way because the Spirit has taken residence within you and now you are both enabled and empowered to live how Jesus lived. Two ways of living, life by the flesh, life by the Spirit. One comes from following your selfish desires or being swept up in the spirit of the time. The other comes from listening to the Spirit's voice and following the Spirit's lead. And this life by the Spirit, Paul says, he's, when he's like, against such things there is no law, he's like, no, 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 it is like unmistakably good. You will never regret having more love in your life, more peace in your life, more joy in your life, and so on, right? So that's Paul's setup, and we can say, all right, Paul, we are tracking with you two ways of living. We got it quite distinct. Okay, we know it. But Paul, so how do we like become these kind of people that are walking in step with the Spirit? Like, what does that even look like? How does that happen? Can you help us, Paul? And Paul says, well, I can. In fact, it's already in the text. I want you to imagine that your life is a plant. Specifically, Paul says, imagine that your life is some kind of fruit-bearing plant. So honestly, we can do that right now. I mean, imagine your life is a fruit-bearing plant. You know, like, what kind of plant are you? You know, am I, someone's a strawberry bush, 
You're an orange tree, right? Maybe there's a tomato vine. Tomatoes are fruits. Don't forget it, right? So what kind of plant are you? Paul says, imagine that you're a fruit-bearing plant. And then he's like, think of these qualities that come from living life in the Spirit. Think of them as like fruit that literally grows on the vines of these branches of your life. You know, think of these things, all these attributes that the Spirit grows. Think of them as fruit. Is fruit grown on the branches of your life? This is the, quote, fruit of the Spirit. And so to help us think well about fruit this morning, I have a special surprise for you. In fact, I chuckled, Chris, when you said you've had to do so many of the tough and controversial things in this series. It is true, and thank you. But everyone, I'm about to give you all snacks. So don't you ever forget who did what. No, I'm just joking. Uh, There are special helpers now with fruit snacks. And if you know who you are, this is the moment. Let's get these fruit snacks out there. Special surprise. These are some of my favorite things from Target. I don't know if you guys love fruit snacks. You can eat them here. You can take them home. You don't have to have them here. But this is going to help us think well about fruit. I love a good fruit snack. And as we're getting our pack, as we're maybe unwrapping it, as we're saving it for later, I want us to think a little bit like what do we know about fruit? You know, what do we know about fruit? I've got a few ideas. There's a few things I know about fruit. Uh, The first thing I know about fruit is that fruit starts small. I mean, fruit starts small. Fruit doesn't start as fruit. Fruit starts as a seed, and it's grown. It starts with a sprout. It's fragile in those early days. It can be trampled down in those early days. It can be gobbled up by predators in those early days. I mean, fruit starts small. It starts as a seed, and then it grows. So what do I know about fruit? Okay, fruit starts small. And then second, I know that fruit, uh, it it doesn't grow itself. Fruit, like, can't make itself be fruit. It doesn't grow itself. It doesn't, like, will its way into being fruit or force its way into getting bigger or juicier. It, It grows because of what it receives from its vines and its roots right? So a strawberry isn't there growing it, but it's like, it's the nutrients that come from the vine. It's the like stuff that comes from the sun that makes that fruit grow. It doesn't grow itself. It can't make itself bigger or grow under its own power. It's dependent, you know, upon water, on fertilizer, on sunlight, on pollination. So fruit, it grows with care and support, but it doesn't grow itself. And finally, something I know about fruit is that fruit ripens eventually, You know, it ripens eventually. Have you ever had a green banana? You know, it's not ready right away. You know, fruit ripens eventually. After the growing season is over, after an extended period of development, after much watering and fertilizing, fruit ripens eventually. It eventually takes on its mature form. And it should be noted that, like, taking on this mature form, it's one of the last things that fruit does. I mean, when it comes to fruit, there's a whole lot of time that is spent growing. And it ripens eventually after months pass. So even though we live in a city, and I don't know who all has a garden here, it's like we know these things about fruit. And Paul knew these things about fruit. And Paul's first century agrarian audience certainly knew these things about fruit. And so when Paul says, think about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as fruit, is fruit, I think he's saying, yeah, think of it as fruit. You know fruit. Fruit that starts small, right? That doesn't grow itself, that ripens eventually. Paul says, think about these attitudes and postures that you'll never regret. 
because against them there's no such law. And think of these like attitudes and postures that Jesus totally embodied, and isn't he worth following? Paul says, think about these things as something that starts small, doesn't grow itself, and ripens eventually. Right? Think about it that way, Paul says, and Paul continues, think of all these attributes, right? all these nine different characteristics that are fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, I want you to think about them as one fruit that God wants to grow in you as one fruit, not as many fruits produced separately or individual fruits on your vine, but think of them as one fruit. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Tyler, like I was following you up to this point, but one fruit, how do you know this one fruit thing? Well, this is like a nerd out moment and we can do this together. The reason I know that Paul wants us to think about all these things as one fruit is because when he wrote his letter to the Galatians, he intentionally used the singular Greek word for fruit, which would be karpos, instead of the plural word for fruit, which would be karpoi. So in the same way that like English, we use the endings of words to say if something's singular or plural, so you have like one child and many, oh my gosh, you're so good, one woman and many, wow, we're great. Uh, in the same way that we use word endings to say if something's singular or plural, Paul says this fruit that's grown, right, that doesn't start, it's not immediately ready, it ripens eventually, it, it's one fruit, it's a karpas, not a karpoi. Now, why does this even matter? Well, I'm convinced that knowing this matters a great deal because Paul wants us to understand that we shouldn't think of these like fruit of the spirit as being like maybe a buffet of fruit, you know, where it's like, I'm really like, I'm on the, the love train and the kindness train, but like, I'm gonna pass on the patience and self-control. You know, those are my favorite fruits. I'm all about this gentleness, but like, I don't really need to be good to anybody else, right? And so it's like Paul saying, no, 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 it's not a buffet line where it's like, you'll get one or two of these and not the rest. And it's not one of these things where it's like, you can pick your favorite and neglect the rest. But instead, Paul's saying, this is like one crop of fruit that goes together. This is like one unified work that the Spirit does in the life of those who follow Jesus to build like this distinct fruit with nine different flavors all bundled into one, this like incredible, beautiful Christ-like fruit, like the Spirit grows it within you and it's one fruit where all these things interplay and intersect. Um, Y'all are gonna love this. I think this is hilarious. Um, the Spirit isn't interested in producing one or two fruit snacks in your life. The Spirit wants to make you a total package. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, uh, I, 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 thank you for indulging me. That was, that was beautiful. But you get it, right? It's one fruit. It's one fruit that the Spirit is growing. And the Spirit wants to form in you. He wants to form you into the kind of person who's characterized by every single attribute that Paul lists, by every single attitude and posture that Jesus embodied. In church, I think this is like, really good news. In fact, I'd say this is, this is like great news because I can't tell you how many people I come across in like my role. You know, Chris and I have this fun job where people tell us like a whole lot about themselves and we get to hear things. I can't tell you how many people I've come across in this role, in this job that say, Tyler, man, like I really want to change. You know, I really want my life to look different in whatever way. You know, I, I want my life to look different, but I feel stuck. And I recognize that these habits in my life, they're not, they're not great. They're not you know, loving in the way I wanna be loving. They're not self-controlled in the way I wanna be self-controlled. They're not like in line with the way that God like made life to be lived. They're like, I know that. I wanna be someone who looks more like Jesus, but I'm afraid that like I never will be. Like I never will be. And what I love about this passage this morning and what I love about the Holy Spirit who comes to take residence in us is that Paul says this morning, look, like. I disagree 
If you're led by the Spirit, Paul says, the Spirit will produce fruit in your life. One fruit, the total package, like total Christ-likeness, will be yours in your life because that's the work that the Spirit does. And I think that is absolutely incredible. I mean, think about it this way. If someone comes along and would tell you like, hey, Jesus wants you to be loving, you know, like Jesus wants you to be loving, that's like true news. That's really true. Jesus does. I mean, Jesus wants us to be loving, right? It's one of the last prayers he prayed. He said of his disciples, hey, by this, they're going to know you're my disciples, that you love one another. So if someone comes along and says like, Jesus wants you to be loving, they're giving you true news. That is correct news. But if someone comes along and says, the Spirit grows you to be loving, I want to argue this morning that that might be even better news, right? Better news. Because it means that in our lives, as we listen to the Spirit and follow His voice, there can be a fruit that we count upon being produced in our lives. Jesus wants you to be loving. That can sound a bit like, oh gosh, now there's this pressure and these things I have to do. The Spirit grows you to be loving. Sounds like, okay, someone's giving me the power that I don't have to turn me into this kind of person that I'll never regret being and that God invites me to be. I mean, that is absolutely better news. And in this letter, Paul is trying to tell the church in Galatia, and he's trying to tell our church in Cincinnati by extension, that there is better news out there. That the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for us is better than we could imagine. Paul's saying those who place their faith in Christ can be sure that over time their life will yield righteousness, that they're going to be the total package, that they'll look like Jesus because the Spirit will produce that fruit in their lives as they listen to the Spirit's voice and follow the Spirit's leading. And sure, it will start small, and it will take a while, but it will ripen eventually, right? Because fruit doesn't grow itself. It's grown, and this fruit in you, Paul says, it's being grown by the Spirit. And friends, I find that remarkably encouraging. I mean, I think that that is so freeing. It's, it's incredibly delightful. It, it tells me that being more and more like Jesus is possible because the Spirit grows His fruit in us. Now, I hope that I've made it clear that the Spirit grows His fruit in us, right? And it's, I love that affirmation. I need it after this week. Thank you. Thank you. It's, so it's clear but now we got to talk about the how, right? So it's clear that the Spirit grows this fruit in us, but like, how does that happen? What does it look like for the Spirit to grow this fruit within us? And I think that something that Paul does, it's like a very another intentional word he used. Paul says that we need to walk by the Spirit. Uh, he speaks of walking by the Spirit in verse 16. He talks about keeping in step with the Spirit in verse 25. And, and I'll be honest, I love that Paul says we need to walk by the Spirit and not run by the Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but running wears me out. Running is so exhausting. I mean, running is why I'm just like stretching this morning from that turkey bowl. You know, in 2020, it's already been exhausting. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit, not run. He's not trying to make it something incredibly strenuous or like over-the-top difficult that we need to do. That's like the religious worldview Paul came from. He doesn't want us to run with the Spirit. And he also doesn't say, like, crawl with the Spirit. I mean, walk is intentional. It's like there's a pace to walking. It's not like you're not moving at all or you're taking little baby steps. I mean, I think he's like, okay, I want you to walk with the Spirit. But what does it look like to walk with the Spirit? How does that happen? Well, in these final moments we have together, I'd love to suggest two simple words 
I mean, there's so much one could say about walking with the Spirit, but two simple words that in my mind summarize what walking with the Spirit looks like on a daily basis. So two words, here they are, walking with the Spirit, uh, help and yes. Help and yes. Uh, you could think of this as like the pace of walking with the Spirit, right? It's like help, yes. Help, yes. You know, so help and yes. And so how does this walking with the Spirit work? Help and yes. Well, first help. Uh, help, I think, is a great one-word prayer that reminds us of our dependence on the Spirit. Uh, it reminds us that we cannot produce these good attributes on our own, that we need the Spirit's help. Right? So when you find yourself in a moment where your patience is being tried, or in a moment where you feel like, gosh, I have absolutely no self-control. You know, I know I shouldn't, but I have no self-control right now. Or I'm in a relationship where, like, it's really hard to love. I know what love would require, but I don't want to do that. Like, it's really, really hard to love right now. Or the only response I can think of are unkind words. I know kindness, but, man, all I can think about are some really unkind things to say. When all you want to do is lash out, but then you remember that Jesus is good to everyone, right? When you're in those spots... I think a great one-word prayer is, hey, Holy Spirit, help. Pause and say, help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I don't know how to be gentle right now. I know I'm about to throw away my faithfulness right now. Help. I, I don't want to do what I'm thinking of doing or say what I'm thinking of saying or act how I'm thinking of acting, but I, but I feel stuck in that way. Holy Spirit, can you help me? Help, help, help. I mean, help reminds us of our dependence upon the Spirit. It reminds us that we need God's Spirit to grow this fruit within us. That's the first word that I think is so critical in walking with the Spirit. Help, help, help. And then the second word is yes. You know, it's yes. And yes, yes is our response. Yes is like what we do after we've prayed help and maybe something new comes to mind. You know, I couldn't think of an unkind word. Help. Oh, there's something better. Yes is then our like, response to be willing to just act in obedience to the Holy Spirit. You know, help Holy Spirit. Thanks for a new idea. Thanks for a moment of strength. Yes, I'm going to follow that. Yes, I'm going to accept your grace. Yes, I'm going to accept your power. Help and yes. Help and yes. I mean, I often feel like after I pray, Holy Spirit, help. I don't know what this sounds like for all y'all, but it's more what I'd describe like this weighty nudge inside of me, right? So it's, gosh, I want to do something else. Help me, Lord. Help me, Holy Spirit. Oh, man. And it's just kind of like a little bit of a wait. Okay, now I know what I need to do. Gosh, I thought I was going to do that other thing. Oh, now there's this little push in a direction that I can tell is better. I don't always want to go there, but it's like it's a push in that way. And it's in those moments where that weighty nudge of the Spirit comes, or I love what Brandon said, that soft voice of the Spirit comes. And it's like, Holy Spirit, help. Hear something soft, you feel that weighty nudge, and yes is our response to the Holy Spirit. Yes is what we do with that gentle prompting. And I'm telling you, if your life becomes more and more one that looks like help, yes, help, yes, help, yes, help, yes, over time, Paul says, promises, that this fruit, this total package is what's going to be produced in your life. And that eventually, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, like these will be the things that characterize your life. These will be the things that grow within you. Even when we're being pulled this way, when everything in us wants to do something else, saying yes to the Spirit's leading, that's what it looks like to walk with the Spirit. Help and yes, help and yes. 
So right now, as the band comes to play and we get ready to wrap up this time together, I want us to just think this week, like, how can we get used to praying these prayers, help and yes, with more frequency? You know, what does that look like for us right now? What does it look like for us the rest of this week? And so even as they're playing, I think we could practice. And in this time of response that we love having in our church, we always want to take time to put a weekend's message into practice. Maybe a prayer you need to pray during this final song is the prayer of help. You know, Holy Spirit, you know what's been going on in my life this week. You know what I've been contemplating. You know what I've been considering. You know what's been weighing on me. Could you help me? Right, Holy Spirit, will you help me? And then if you do feel that weighty nudge, if you do hear that still small voice, if something wells up within you that says, oh gosh, now I know what I need to do. I may not want to do it. Now I know what I need to do. Can I just encourage you to say yes to the Spirit's leading? Because I'm telling you, friends, you will never regret following the Holy Spirit. The fruit, I mean, all spirits produce fruit, but the fruit that the Spirit produces, it's good. There's no law against it. It's so much like Jesus. So as we sing this final song, you can join to stand and sing. You can pray in the quietness of your seats, but may you remember that prayer, help and yes, and allow the Spirit to speak to you even again as we conclude our time today.